Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good day, everyone, and welcome to the Neo Performance Materials, Inc. second quarter 2021 earnings announcement. Today's conference is being recorded. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Ali Madabi, Senior Vice President, Corporate Development and Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thank you, Operator. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, just as a reminder, today's call is being recorded, and the replay will be available starting tomorrow in the Investor Center of our website, located at neomaterials.com. Uh, I am joined uh, by NEO's President CEO, Konstantin Karianopoulos, and NEO's Chief Financial Officer, Raheem Suleiman, this morning. Uh, Raheem will uh, follow up uh, on the back of Konstantin's commentary uh, regarding the company's second quarter performance, and then we'll open the call to questions from analysts only. Please note that some of the information you will hear during today's presentation and discussion will consist of forward-looking statements, including, without limitation, those regarding revenue, EBITDA, and adjusted EBITDA, product volumes, product pricing, other income and expense measures, cash returns, and future business outlook. Actual results or trends could differ materially from those discussed today. For more information, please refer to the risk factors discussed in NEO's most recent financial filings, which were filed on CDAR earlier today, and are also available on our website. NEO assumes no obligation to update any forward-looking statements or information which speak as of their respective dates. Financial amounts presented today will be in U.S. dollars. Non-IFRS financial measures will be used during this conference call. Further information regarding NEO's use of non-IFRS measures is available in NEO's Q2 2021 earnings press release, which is also available on CDAR and on our website at neomaterials.com. Let me now turn the call over to Constantine for opening remarks. Thank you, Ali, and good morning, everyone. We're pleased to report uh, pretty strong financial and operating results uh, over the last quarter. Uh, Neil booked a record $135 million plus of revenue with a very strong profitability. Adjusted net income was $14.1 million, Dollars and adjusted EBITDA was $22.2 million. Um, when you look at the business, purchase orders are pretty high, and many of our plants are operating at near-record production levels. Dialogue with existing and new customers and product innovation remain very active as we continue to collaborate on the next generation of our products and their products. As some of you may have noticed in the recent press release we issued uh, with Energy Fuels, we are continuing to diversify our sources of rare earth feed materials to include materials sourced from North America. Our research and development pipelines are full. Recent market dynamics have created a premium pricing environment that in the first half of the year helped strengthen our financial performance. Our talented teams around the world have diligently managed our operations, and we're winning new business because of our product innovation partnerships with customers, our extraordinary customer service, and the geographic diversity of supply chains we can offer. We always knew that climbing out of last year's shutdowns would provide ample demand growth. It's no surprise that our product volumes have increased 60% year over year, given that the second quarter of 2020 bore the brunt of COVID's direct impact. <clears throat> As CEO, of course, I keep this stellar performance in perspective. Unusual and complex supply chain factors remain for every industry where we sell our engineered materials. Over the past six to nine months, we have observed outpaced demand as our customers attempt to refill supply chains and then customers in greater China, North America, and Europe are clamoring for goods. Often, our customers earmark news materials for inventory safety stock, only to have those units placed into production ahead of time. 
Those same dynamics also influence commodity spot input pricing, which has been running near five-year highs for select rare earth materials, primarily neodymium and praseodymium for our MagnaQuench division. The increase in our networking capital for the third consecutive quarter is reflective of that higher price environment. It's not a simple matter to juggle expanding production against a global shipping crisis, semiconductor shortages, extreme weather events wreaking havoc in localized geographies, and the resurgence of COVID in many jurisdictions. We've just recently started to feel these impacts in the back half of Q2. Some of this seesaw demand flow is reflected in the second quarter numbers as evidenced in sequentially lower volumes for MagnaQuench. In addition to the inventory pipelines refilling in the first quarter, this was also driven by the semiconductor shortage and further exacerbated by other global issues such as shipping and weather impacts. While we anticipate much of these volatility trends to continue in the second half of the year, our Tier 1 customers and OEMs are indicating that demand will likely eventually increase to make up for some of the recent shortages tied to the semiconductor availability problems. Our customers do not expect to see any significant permanent loss of demand from this temporary shortfall. From a strategic perspective, what I continue to think about is the fact that NEO's innovations sit atop supply chains that are continually changing. Our teams, our materials, and our mode of operations must also change to meet these demands. It's a topic that we discuss regularly, and it informs our strategic vision to first protect and grow our core business. The advanced materials we manufacture and sell today are meeting the challenges of clean air, clean water, and more efficient motor and energy processes. Our execution of this strategy has led to outpace growth as the global manufacturing environment finds its footing. We've observed this increased demand across our MagnaQuench business unit for thermal management of electronic devices, such as 5G stations, servers, laptops, and gaming devices. Factory automation remains on the upswing as a megatrend. The consumer appliance business remains strong and is seeking higher performance materials, which has led to the business successfully winning new product lines. And despite the semiconductor issue within automotive, we continue to see substantial order volumes for auto pumps, sensors, thermal management systems, and ancillary motors such as trunk motors and seat motors for both internal combustion and electric vehicles. On a midterm outlook, we remain in the middle of global economic of a, in the middle of a global economic recovery. And while production manufacturing indices remain in expansion mode, we're, fra- we're far from a typical operating environment. In another 12 to 18 months, we anticipate that much of the current volatility will subside. Over that time frame, we expect semiconductor supply chains will be reconfigured with these decentralized regional production centers. And we're hopeful that increasing vaccination rates will help starve COVID of the conditions it needs to flourish. A major competitive advantage at NEO is our flexibility to procure diverse raw material inputs. We value our long-term supply relationships with strategic sources around the world. Rather than being tied to a specific ore body or held to a single source supply for critical materials, we've built an extensive portfolio of relationships. We are continuing to build upon those. The addition of a new critical material supplier requires methodical discipline, and we're pleased with the progress made by our development partners in Colorado-based energy fuels. We expect to receive commercial quantities of monazite-derived rare feedstock to our European-based processing facility in Silome, Estonia, in the third quarter. We see this, this fueling growth of our processing capacity for our global customers. Ensuring the responsible sourcing of all key raw material inputs has always been the assured practice at NEO. More recently, we have noticed increased interest from global customers attesting to those statements as well as investors. While we have a significant successful experience related to our tantalum programs and ensuring that we do not process any conflict materials, 
we're encouraged to see similar interests and initiatives related to all of our key materials. Our separated rarest business continues to perform strongly with multi-year high-order volume at all locations. This volume strength is further aided by higher pricing related to strong demand for magnetic applications uh, and short-term interruptions for, from a supply perspective. These higher-cost raw materials have begun to flow through our working pro process and finished goods inventory, directionally tightening our margin profile in that business as expected. Underlying trends indicate strength across automotive, consumer electronics, and healthcare, all of which continue to show favorable demand. Our specialty mixed oxides business continues to outpace the general automotive trend as our newest products and strong customer service continue to gain market share. We have observed some near-term impact of the semiconductor shortfall, although, again, we see that as a temporary condition that should not lead to permanent loss of demand. Our specialty water treatment business is building momentum and we have sold record volumes into the strategic growth arm within chemicals and oxides. Our rare metals business has seen strong performance in its specialty materials and we have also observed the directional improvement in a traditional aerospace business. Although this is growing at a slower rate related to automotive and consumer electronics, the restart of the industry is an encouraging sign. Equally, if not more important, our strategic decision to further diversify beyond the aerospace sector is starting to yield favorable results. Our teams are diligently working on expanding operating capacity to help accommodate new market development, particularly premium applications within our existing core product portfolio and our electronic materials business continues to outperform our expectations. A couple of words on climate and sustainability. Longer term, we continue to be optimistic about NEO's growth prospects. At the end of 2022 and into 2023 and beyond, we expect to be much further along on the massive industrial transformation in response to climate change. We all saw in the headlines from this week's release of the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change Six Assessment Report, renewed emphasis on decarbonization, electric vehicles, alternative energy generation, and energy efficiency will continue to drive demand for our products at increasingly higher rates. With the sobering IPCC conclusions in mind, NEO's board recently approved our commitment to continuously pursue the advancement of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and make them part of the company's strategy, culture, and day-to-day -day operations. NEO has always taken a responsible approach to ensure that our teams and our facilities are on the leading edge of environmental practices. We are proud of our sustainability track record. In order to more effectively communicate our contributions to sustainability, I'm pleased to report that we're working toward our inaugural sustainability report. On behalf of our board's health, environment, safety, and sustainability committee, I'm proud of our team's efforts to methodically approach this massive undertaking in a thoughtful way. Sustainability is truly in our company's DNA and more formally incorporating best sustainability practices further into our operating culture will become a new norm. We already see the benefits internally, and we look forward to sharing more information with you. On the electric vehicles front, the climate change trajectory we now face tells us that macro trends, such as the growth in electrified vehicles, will only accelerate. And the bottom-up actions from industry around the globe are more telling than the headlines. With $270 billion already committed to electrification efforts by the major OEMs, the direction has been set through both public policy and industry objectives. The major questions that remain in consumers' minds, price parity with internal combustion engines, the EV charging infrastructure, and range anxiety are falling away. NEO's innovative product portfolios are currently under testing and qualification for several new electrification platforms, both with magnetic applications and next-generation emissions platforms. We agree with many analysts' views that 25 to 30% of new passenger vehicles produced and sold will be pure battery electric vehicles at the end of the decade. And those estimates 
estimates are before the most recent policy proposals this summer, such as the European Union's recent Fit for 55 campaign to revise CO2 emissions targets and the recent executive order from the U.S. targeting 50% EV penetration by 2030. While formal targets have not been set for greater China, current actions suggest that China will continue its aggressive transition to electrified transportation. Irrespective of the precise figure of EVs at the end of the decade, one thing is clear. More efficient electric motors will be required to propel both electric and next-generation hybrid vehicles. These vehicle platforms are anticipated to require nearly eight times the amount of permanent rare-earth magnets. NEO's technical development teams are intimately familiar with the trajectories and goals of our customers. This type of trusted development partnership is critical to successfully commercializing our advanced performance materials into OEMs and motor manufacturers. Interestingly, public policy proposals in the U.S. and elsewhere are also catching up to the increased demand trends for magnetic materials, with an emphasis on localized production to help de-risk some of the global supply chain impacts we have observed over the past 18 months. As a leader in rare earth and rare metal performance materials, we're very familiar with the benefits of having diverse production facilities located across Asia, Europe, and North America. Our customer service model and innovation for next-generation products are unmatched, and we will further utilize our diverse geographic asset base to meet our customers' demands. While the trend for more electrified vehicles is positive for NEO, it's worth noting that a majority of all vehicles in 2030 will likely still contain emissions catalysts. The catalysts of 2030 will be more advanced and complex to achieve emerging emission regulations. As the final iterations of a Euro 7 set of emission standards take shape, we're actively qualifying new materials to achieve improved performance and overcome design challenges. The electrification, lightweighting, and improved efficiency of electric and alternative fuel vehicles continue to paint an improved picture for NEO's core business. In summary, as we enter the back half of the year, there are some clear signals for short-term volatility. We feel the impact of the semiconductor shortage, and there may be more timing uncertainty in the next several quarters. But the longer-term trend with automotive is very favorable through both through both the general economic recovery and the acceleration to electrified dry brains. Similarly, continued high demand for consumer electronics is now relenting and will bring further pressures upon tight supply of integrated circuits. Our teams are ideally situated to manage and grow through short-term volatility, as we have successfully done for many years. Our emphasis on innovation will take advantage of long-term megatrends and position NEO to grow through the next major industrial transition to a more decarbonized global economy. Operationally, we will leverage our unique technical capabilities to further grow our core business and expand, uh, expand our product portfolio over that time frame. We will continue our focus on developing new products and innovations that, advance, uh, that uh, take advantage of macro trends throughout the remainder of the decade. This disciplined approach to managing our business generates robust free cash flow, and we will continue to reinvest in our business to pursue further growth. As we align our strategic initiatives with those of our customers, our supply chains, and the megatrends of the coming decades, we will also opportunistically continue to evaluate partnership and acquisition opportunities to strengthen our core product offering and accelerate our technical know-how. In short, with the organic growth we're seeing across all business units, the significant macro tailwinds boosting the entire rare earth sector, and a number of strategic growth opportunities on the radar screen, we remain confident in the sustainability of our long-term vision and growth strategy. I'll now turn the call over to Raheem for a detailed review of our financial performance in the quarter. Raheem? Thanks, Constantine, and good morning, everyone. Our second quarter performance extended the positive momentum from late 2020 and the first quarter of this year. Our business managed through a highly dynamic operating environment and delivered favorable financial and operating results. Comparison of our results to prior year periods provides some large growth percentages to be sure. 
Yet these metrics are not terribly meaningful as we lap the lowest performing quarter due to the onset of the global pandemic. What is more helpful is to evaluate the fundamental strengths of our business and product lines relative to the trajectory for the end user markets we sell into and the exciting trends that those end markets entail. For a quick summary of our results, our year-over-year sales performance doubled in the quarter. This was driven by a 60% increase in product volume shipped during the quarter and a higher pricing environment, particularly related to magnetic products and magnetic rare earth elements. Gross margin as a percentage of sales expanded by more than eight points versus the prior year period. This was aided by improved rare earth pricing set against lower cost inventory on hand. Higher product volumes in the quarter also improved fixed cost absorption and drove more dollar value margins. This lead lag benefit of price versus inventory slowed as we exited the quarter and as the higher cost raw materials began to flow through the income statement, particularly going into Q3, while at the same time, rare earth prices for magnetic elements decreased throughout Q2. Assuming a more stabilized pricing environment moving forward, we'd expect our margin profile to normalize as well. For the second quarter of 2021, we reported adjusted net income of $14.1 million, or $0.37 per share, per diluted share, and we reported adjusted EBITDA of $22.2 million, more than an 18-fold improvement from the prior year period. For the six-month period ended June 2021, we reported adjusted net income of $29.2 million, or $0.76 per diluted share, and we reported adjusted EBITDA of $44.6 million, being the strongest first-half adjusted EBITDA performance in the company's recent history. Q2 and Q1 were undeniably strong quarters. In addition to the pricing and lead lag dynamic, the primary trend underlying our performance was, again, the general economic recovery, as indicated through the resurgent manufacturing environment and the strength of customer demand in many parts of the world. While the strength of improved volumes across all three business units is well understood, I'd like to provide some additional context on the recent pricing dynamics affecting our business. There has been substantial volatility over the past 12 months in rare earth market pricing. The price increases that began in the fourth quarter of 2020 appeared to peak at the, second, at the start of the second quarter of this year. On our last quarterly conference call, we were in the midst of a gradual decline for magnetic materials and heavy rare earth pricing. The impact of this price decline ranged from down 15% to down 35% from the end of March. Yet very quickly since the start of July, these same prices have rebounded and are now either approaching or even exceeding the higher watermark set earlier this year. On an absolute dollar basis, many of these prices have fully doubled compared to one year ago. As I mentioned earlier, assuming a more stabilized pricing environment moving forward, we'd expect our margin profile to normalize in the future. As we have discussed in the past, Neil's focus is to be a value-added, technology-based producer that does not rely on commodity price movements for our longer-term profitability outlook. Most of our contracts are tied to pass-through provisions and market dynamics, allowing Neo to keep a longer-term focus on the value-added products and enabling the best performance of our customers' products. Having said that, higher rare earth prices do allow for more dollar margin in addition to the value that we add to our products. Shifting to the detailed business unit results. MagnaQuench again reported a strong financial and operating quarter as strategic initiatives within new programs aided a surging manufacturing environment. Following on to a first quarter that saw substantial inventory restocking, MagnaQuench's product volume improved 47% over the prior year, driven by growth across most of the MagnaQuench product portfolio, as Constantine discussed earlier. MagnaQuench's emerging growth initiatives also performed well in the quarter, with the compression molded magnets outperforming expectations on the strength of consumer electronics. Our magnet manufacturing business is quickly earning a reputation for quality and consistency that we have been known for across our bonded magnetic powders. There have been several new business wins in this area, and sales of magnets is close to three times larger than the prior year period. The business 
began to observe the impact of certain delayed orders near the end of the second quarter related to the semiconductor chip shortage within the automotive sector and other manufacturing environments. That said, our automotive product portfolio continued to outgrow reported vehicle production output from the OEMs through the first six months of the year. From a unit cost perspective, the noted pricing dynamics created a positive lead lag effect for MagnaQuench during the second quarter. We would anticipate this benefit potentially reversing, given the downward trend for magnetic prices during Q2, but it remains to be seen whether the recent uptick will stabilize through the third quarter. MagnaQuench's strategic pass-through pricing generally will normalize within one to two quarters after commodity prices stabilize. Within the chemicals and oxide business unit, there's a similar strong volume trend across the sale of magnetic rare earths, environmental catalysts, and special water treatment products. Volume and sales growth were in line with consolidated results as revenue more than doubled and product volume grew by more than 60% compared to the prior year. Similar to MagnaQuench, our emissions catalyst portfolio continued to outperform the general recovery trend across the automotive industry. Our innovation efforts are continuing to make progress within environmental catalysts as new product lines to meet the increasing complexity of next-generation emission regulations are out-competing based upon performance. And while still relatively small, our specialty environmental water treatment business has been building momentum with larger customers and strong customer retention. During the quarter, the pricing lead lag effect provided a net benefit to CNO similar to the trends as MagnaQuench and in line with the comments we made earlier on the impact of changes in rare earth prices. Also similar to MagnaQuench, CNO began to see softening in the order pipeline related to the semiconductor chip shortage, particularly in the automotive space. Our rare metals business segment reported $20.1 million in revenue and improved upon its profitability within the first quarter, reporting $2.5 million of adjusted EBITDA. Within rare metals, two interesting dynamics have been at play through the second quarter. First, the economic recovery observed within MagnaQuench and CNO is just starting to catch up in the aerospace industry, where rare metals typically sell super alloys. Second, and more importantly, a number of the strategic initiatives at work in the background are starting to show results, including a shift to increase exposure to non-aerospace end markets. Our commercial and technical teams have been diligently evaluating new product formulations, expanding into premium product applications, and refurbishing existing production lines to expand our capacity with minimal capital investment. Aligning our production facilities toward a more diversified end customer base has started to show signs of growth. We look forward to further growing this new revenue generation model. Rare Metals is experiencing some benefits from pricing dynamics in the quarter, although on different products than MagnaQuench and CNO. In particular, we saw improvements in tantalum and rhenium prices. With this increased pricing and increased demand, the Rare Metals segment was able to reverse some of the lower cost or market provisions that we discussed in previous quarters and sold many of those products on a profitable basis in Q2. Shifting to our consolidated results, we reported SG&A expenses of $13.6 million, a decrease from $14.7 million in the prior year period, and a decrease from $14.1 million in the first quarter. Our R&D expenditure was $4.9 million, an increase from $2.9 million in the prior year period and $4 million in the first quarter. Our investment for R&D remains around strategic products and new growth opportunities that meet our customers' needs. We closed the quarter with $59.6 million in cash, an increase from the $55.6 million at March 31st. Our overall increased profitability helped contribute to this environment while we still required a $14.5 million investment in networking capital during the quarter for higher cost raw material inventory and increased receivables from higher sales. We invested $2.5 million into maintenance and growth-related capital projects, and we continued our cash dividend to shareholders of $3.1 million during the quarter. Our free cash flow conversion remains strong at 89% during the quarter, and we remain confident that our cash balances and balance sheet provide ample liquidity to operate and grow the business. Uh, With that, I'll turn it over to the uh, operator to open it up for questions. Thank you. 
Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to ask a question today, please press star and then one on your phone if you are using a touchtone phone. Uh, if you are using a speakerphone today, you might have to pick up the handset or depress the mute function so the signal can reach our equipment. Again, that is star and then one. We will take our first question from Mark Neville from Scotiabank. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you. Hey, guys, can you hear me? Yep. Hey, Mark. How are you? Good. Um, good job of managing the volatility on the quarter, guys. Um, Maybe just first, just a magnequence, just the pricing growth there. Is that all just the lead lag, or is there any sort of mix uh, benefit as well? Yeah, the whatever mix uh, effect was there, Mark, um, it would have been secondary. Uh, clearly, okay. the, that improvement is not necessarily lead lag. I mean, we, and when our uh, costs um, for the inputs go up, we, we have very strong pricing power reflected in our contracts, so we put prices up or down, depending on the direction of the, of the price changes. Uh, so, of course, when prices go up, uh, our percent margins don't necessarily go up, but our dollar margins go up, so I think that's part of what you're seeing. But there's no question that there is um, there continues to be some lead, um, lead lag benefit. Okay. Raheem? Yeah, look, I agree with everything Constantine said. Maybe the only thing that, that, that I maybe further emphasize of what Constantine is, the higher prices do lead to more higher dollar value margins. So there is definitely improvement there, and we have been working with all of our customers to raise prices. So we've been very successful okay. in all those dynamics. Okay. Um, and just so I'm, I guess, clear on the communication uh, for margin uh, or profit going forward, um, I mean, there would be some expectation of margin compression just given higher, co given higher cost inventory, but again, it sounds like pricing going back up So uh, for rare earth. Um, so just, again, like I appreciate it's you don't have a crystal ball, but um, it sounds like the messaging is probably down a bit in Q3 and in Q4 we'll see. Um, is that sort of the messaging? Clearly, in the absence of, a, of the price increase that has happened here in July, we probably would have seen some compression, right, because we're buying higher cost inventory and that's now flowing through, or at least I'd say normalized margins. Uh, so if prices remain where they are, I think there, there's additional benefits still to be had. If they come down a little bit kind of to where they were, call it in the middle of July, you'd probably see normalized margins, and if they shrink below that, then you would see uh, some kind of compression. Okay. Um, maybe just on the, the semiconductors, I, I would have thought that you would have seen a bit more impact um, in the quarter. Um, so I'm just sort of curious of your thoughts on that. Is it, um, do you think there's some uh, inventory building with customers um, for your product? Um, maybe you saw a pretty significant impact in the latter half of the quarter. Just, just your comments on that. Yeah, perhaps, uh, again, I, I, don't, I don't want to, to be flippant, but perhaps if we didn't have 
the semiconductor uh, problems, um, our volumes would have been closer to uh, the first quarter volumes because, yeah, that, that inventory rebuilding has, has continued uh, into the quarter. Uh, we are getting uh, feedback from customers about the challenges that they have. Um, at the same time, they're, you know, they're, they're implementing short-term solutions. We understand that some uh, Tier 1 motor uh, suppliers to the OEM, to the automotive industry, are doing away with uh, smart circuits, and they're just selling on-off systems without the optimization that comes with, uh, with an integrated circuit. Um, but these are all really temporary fixes. Um, as this thing persists, I do expect, and our customers expect, some degree of negative impact. Uh, I really, we really don't have a very good sense of what that all means. Um, but you know, this, this sort of volatility, whether it's semiconductors, whether it's COVID, whether it's you know, lo and behold, shipping. Um, challenges uh, are, you know, part of the norm in in the industry, and we always figure out how to respond. Um, you know, uh, it, it's not going to be all smooth sailing all the time. Uh, at some point, we will be giving up some of the some of the gains, whether because of uh, semiconductor issues or other disturbances in the supply chain. But the long term trajectory of, of the industry, given all the mega trends uh, driving it, will continue to be positive, Mark. You know, understood. Uh, I've done a few more, but I'll, I'll turn it over and get back into you, but uh, thanks for the comments, and again, good job in the quarter. Thank you, and we have some questions from Yuri Link from Canaccord Genuity. Hey, good morning, guys. Morning, Yuri. Um, yeah, looking for a little more color, I guess, on the on the potential volume impact of of the chip shortage. Can you is there any way you can kind of talk about um, how volumes uh, evolved throughout the quarter um, and, and kind of your your exit rate uh, in as you entered Q3? Um, yeah, well, the short answer is we can't really be much more. Um, we can't quantify it much more than we have. Uh, we are getting warnings that uh, some of our customers, or more importantly, their customers and their customers, are feeling the pinch. Um, I, I would expect, if this gets worse, to see some orders getting pushed out to the next period or whatever. Uh, However, what, what this means is that we'll get all of this back because it will continue to create pent-up demand. Um, just like we saw with COVID, we had a miserable second quarter last year, but eventually it all came back. Um, I, you know, I, I apologize. We, we're not as intimately involved and familiar with, with the, you know, with supply chain steps, five, six, uh, links away from us, um, but all we do, all we can do, is is keep talking to our customers and 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 sort of internalize the, the feedback that they're giving us. So all we're what we're seeing is so far so good. They hope to um, to do to, to to solve this problem uh, sooner rather than later. But as the problem persists, especially outside of China, uh, as this problem persists, uh, I, there will be an impact. The quantity and the timing, you know, we we, we couldn't possibly um, be able to estimate in any better way. Okay, that's fair. Uh, just switching uh, to the U.S. supply chain, um, have, have you received any 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 product yet in in Estonia? Well, we announced uh, a few weeks ago that. The container, the first container, was uh, loaded at Energy Fuels. I was there for that, as as well as um, Kevin Morris, our chief operating officer, and Jeff Hogan, the EVP that runs um, the chemicals and oxides business. We're all in um, Utah at um, Energy Fuels' plant in White Mesa. So the the container left on time, 
um, I got a note this morning that um, it has not arrived um, in um, in Estonia yet. Shipping um, all all containers have been delayed, so we expect to receive it mid September. Um, so again, the the global um, supply chains are under a bit of pressure, not only because of semiconductors, but also because of logistical challenges. But you know, it's this is not that big a deal. Um, in our conversations with um, with energy fuels, and we do have weekly conversations, uh, they are preparing the next set of containers as part of the first um, batch of monazite shipment that they got from Kimor. So I do expect the pipeline to start getting uh, pretty full from White Mesa to uh, to Silmet. But I do, I was hoping that uh, the monazite would start being, uh, would start, we would start feeding that uh, mixed rare earth carbonate from monazite uh, into Silmet separation uh, batteries by the end of the third quarter. It still looks like that's doable and possible, but, you know, uh, because of the logistic uh, logistical challenges uh, were probably running a couple weeks late. Understood. Okay. Thanks for the update. I'll turn it over. Thanks, Yuri. And again, ladies and gentlemen, that is star one if you would like to ask a question. We have a question from Ian Gillies from Stiefel. Morning, everyone. Morning, Ian. With respect to some of the COVID lockdowns that appear to be having um, an impact in China currently, do you expect it to have much of an impact, if any, on any of your your production capabilities, or is it going to change your operating parameters at all? Um, thanks, Ian. Um, well, you know, nobody expected that this this COVID mess was going to be dealt with, you know, in a, in a step change. So it'll be spotty. Um, variants are popping up. You know, we're, a lot of people are battling with Delta. Um, I don't know what the next one will be, but, you know, we're not clearly, we're not out of the woods yet. Having said that, None of our customers in China have shut down because of this. We're all being a lot, you know, we continue to be very careful and very diligent with tests, masks, um, protective equipment. Um, we monitor um, cases, uh, and we haven't had cases for a while now anywhere in, in, our, uh, in our organization. Um, so I so far, we have not, but let's face it, if, if there's a massive outbreak in the Shanghai area, which is the center of automotive, or further down in Guangdong province or in the Shenzhen to Dongguan corridor, <laughs> I, I could tell you that that will be an impact because that's where every almost every iPhone is, is getting assembled. Um, I know, well, for example, uh, Foxconn has a big plant in Wuhan um, in Hainan. They, they had some, um, oh, sorry, Henan, where they had the, the floods recently. Um, the, we didn't get word of any uh, slowdowns in the output. Um, so, you know, that, that was a fairly major uh, disaster with, with the floods where um, it, it was actually pretty tragic where people lost their lives. Um, and, you know, we we didn't see a, a, a direct impact uh, to this. But, you know, there's no guarantees in life. Uh, uh, COVID will take an awful lot of effort by an awful lot of people and pretty well everybody uh, around the world So to, to, to deal with it. So we'll, we do everything we can. I mean, that's, that's our strategy. Um, you know, we maintain safe practices, and I'm, I'm, you know, all the customers that we talk to do the same thing. So um, there's a lot that has been learned over the last year, and I expect that um, any localized impacts, uh, any localized events will not have uh, the same degree of impact that would have had a year ago when this mess started, a year and a half ago. So, you know, we remain optimistic, but continue to be diligent, and so far, so good. 
Understood. Um, that's helpful. Um, with the plans for running at near record output, could you maybe provide some updated thoughts on how you're thinking about um, an expansion of the SILMET facility at some point, and perhaps even adding magnet quench capacity at that location? Sure. Um, you know, strategically, this is our goal to, um, you know, as we have discussed before, SILMET, in, in our view, is the most strategic asset in our industry in Europe. It's the only facility that produces rare earths. And um, as you have perhaps seen from the announcement of, of our results, uh, it's doing a lot better, both producing rare earths, but also producing tantalum and niobium, uh, where we're now making money again in that business. Um, it took a lot of work, and, and it's paying off. Um, on the other hand, Europe continues to stay absolutely determined to, uh, to ensure the um, regional stability and resiliency of supply chains relating to automotive. Um, we continue to have a lot of conversations with the European Union, European Union member states, and perhaps more importantly with a number of Tier 1s who's tier one manufacturer who supply the, the drivetrains, as well as the OEM customers who buy these um, uh, drivetrains uh, for their EVs. And there's clearly uh, a, a desire and a commitment to have a large portion of the electric motors, drivetrains, and the magnets that go into them made um, in the European Union. So, you know, there are challenges. Uh, the margins are, are thin because that's another industry that, that's dominated by um, commodity manufacturers out of China. But as we have proven uh, in, in our current business, we, we can make money by carving out smart, uh, profitable niches. And that's the, the direction we're going to. Um, I do, I am pretty hopeful by, you know, sometime in the next year, we will have uh, reached some conclusions about the, the expansion of rare earth production in Silmet and perhaps even the um, establishment of a magnet quench facility either at Silmet or somewhere in the EU to, to supply, to produce uh, metals, alloys, uh, and, uh, and even magnets. But we, we still have a lot of uh, uh, discussions ahead of us. Uh, in order to deal with uh, with all the structural challenges that uh, that this strategy needs to see addressed before we can make that decision. Um, again, to summarize, because I've been blabbering on for a while here, uh, this is definitely the direction we we're we're trying to go. But you know, there's there's some pretty serious challenges on the way. But you know, we're we're dealing with them and we're knocking each one at a time. So we do expect that sometime, you know, 2022, we should be in a position to to make the call. Oh, yes or no. <laughs> Either way, I'm not yeah. promising that we will do that. But I mean, it's you know, we remain pretty optimistic and um, and positive about it. But still, there's a lot of work to be done. No, that's helpful, as is the timeline. Um, the last question I wanted to ask was around, there seem to be some new tax credits related to rare earth magnets um, be introduced this week. It doesn't appear to be law or anything along those lines yet. Um, do you have any initial views acknowledging that details are, seem to be incredibly light and confusing? Um, well, welcome to the world of uh, <clears throat> government uh, legislation and, uh, and bills. Uh, trying to make their way through uh, the legislative uh, part of government. Um, yeah, it, it is confusing, but at the same time, when you know, when you look at the summary and the highlights, <clears throat> a twenty to thirty dollar per kilogram magnet tax credit could ultimately make the difference. <clears throat> excuse me, between uh, having a magnet infrastructure in the United States versus not having one. Um, when we look at, you know, I, I referred earlier to structural challenges uh, when you try to make magnets in Europe 
it's a similar situation in the United States. And <clears throat> there are permanent advantage, disadvantages that making magnets in these jurisdictions have against the large uh, SOE-type manufacturers of magnets in China. <clears throat> the most obvious parts are the uh, VAT treatment <clears throat> on rare earth inputs into magnet production and the VAT treatment on magnet uh, exports from China. <clears throat> Uh, however, as I said, a $20, even a $20 stopgap or, or incentive on some basis would eliminate those um, structural disadvantages, at least on a, on a cost basis. So it's definitely, from a regulatory point of view, uh, as far as manufacturing of magnets in North America goes, uh, I think this is definitely a positive step, and it could help a great deal. But as I, you know, not to repeat myself, uh, <clears throat> uh, as I said, in Europe, there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, tax credits is one thing. However, um, the, the supply chains have been absent from the United States for 20, 30 years, and the skill set, isn't there uh, in the form that it needs to be. So there's still work on a lot of other fronts. Uh, however, you know, these tax credits definitely, absolutely help um, recreate the magnet, rare-to-magnet supply chains in the U.S. That's great and helpful, color. I'll uh, turn it back over here. Thanks, you. And ladies and gentlemen, once again, as a final reminder, if you would like to ask a question, please press star and then one at this time. It appears we have no further questions in the queue, so I will turn the conference back over to Ali Madavi for closing remarks. Thank you very much. Uh, once again, we'd like to thank everyone for joining us this morning on behalf of the team. Should you have any questions, by all means, and as always, feel free to reach out. That concludes today's call, and we look forward to speaking with you all again on our third quarter 2021 earnings call. Operator. Thank you. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes today's conference. We appreciate your participation today. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.